Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am Bernard Beitman, MD. I study the mind and the brain and its physical and cultural context. Meaningful coincidences like synchronicity and serendipity provide clues to how our minds and our brains connect deeply to our bodies, other people, nature, and our environment. Meaningful coincidences happen in all aspects of life. To notice them, you just got to need to expect them. You got to like see maybe they're going to happening. And part of our what we're doing here is saying, hey, come on, listen to this because you'll see more coincidence as a result. You can pre-order my new book, Meaningful Coincidences, is due out in September. There's what it looks like back there. The full title of Meaningful Coincidence is Meaningful Coincidence, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. It's coming out in September. The order links are in the text below. And this is the first book to put synchronicity and serendipity together. The, these two groups tend to not believe in each other for various reasons, but uh, they have something in common. I try to be able to say what that is. My story for today, I title Mirror, Mirror on the Wall. Okay. Sometimes people show up in meetings wearing the same colors, almost the same outfits. One person says to the other, I guess you got the memo, which means telling you what to wear. These paired outfits often get amazed smiles, but not always, and in this case, maybe it didn't. While at a conference, a colleague of mine shared a glorious romantic first day with another attendee. As darkness fell, the relationship sifted into discord. Uh, the next day, each of them wore a black outfit with a little white in it. For him, this fashion coincidence signaled that the relationship should continue. For her, it turned out it meant the relationship was finished. The mostly black outfit was assigned to her of mourning. It was over. One person's grateful amazement can be another person's burden. The relationship did not proceed. Our guest today um, and I have come together through... Um, a little serendipity in our neighborhood. We have a little one of those neighborhood uh, little libraries, take a book and give a book, you know, a little box with books in it. So I, I was wandering around looking for something and this place, this one tends to deliver really good stuff for me. And it's a play with coincidence to see if there's something there that matches what I'm looking for, what I would like. So I found this book, this one right here. Um, and uh, started having a little communication because the author was like uh, very reflective, we could say. Uh, her name is Natasha Jukowski, and she's the author of The Portrait of a Mirror, which is her debut novel published by the Overlook Press in 2021. Her work has appeared in the Common Electric Literature and Necessary Fiction, and she's got a newsletter named The uh, 
quite useless. It just happens to be after Oscar Wilde's all, the, all art is quite useless. I mean, she plays with words in ways that, well, you'll see. Natasha holds a BA in English from the University of Virginia and an MBA from New York University's Stern School of Business. This is another one of her polarities. She spent five years working as a docent in Philadelphia Art Museum and no, not a docent, not a docent. I was I was on the business side. I was in membership. Oh, you. Oh, you. I always imagined you from the book to be showing people around. Oh, you were in the business side. Oh, so you were that person. I forget her name. Anyway, we'll leave her out of this for now. Um, so you're in the business side. So I was imagining her being a docent, showing paintings around. But she knew she she learned to somehow picked up a lot about art. Uh, so she went from the business of art to the business of business, uh, which wasn't as big a pivot as I thought it was, uh, but still a big pivot. And her book contains marvelous descriptions of uh, of artwork and their relationship to reality, our reality, and uh, some top 1% or less than 1% New Yorkers, uh, Wall Street types kind of thing, and, and their relationships. I mean, it's so funny and so reflective and so many mirrors, so many mirrors. And narcissism is a key part of this whole thing. So, Natasha, it's been a pleasure talking with you by email and stuff, and reading your book twice. And now we we we've got to we we had to stop talking with each other so we get to this. So, uh, please tell us, please tell us a coincidence story, Natasha. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Bernie. It's it's a pleasure to be on with you after our email correspondence. Um, my coincidence story is actually uh, surrounds my novel. So uh, the hardcover that you were holding there a minute ago came out last June 1st, June 1st, 2021. And that date, it turns out, was also my wedding anniversary eight years earlier in um in 2013. So my husband and I got married in 2013. My June 1st, the book came out last year, 2021, June 1st. And because the novel is about narcissism and weddings feature very prominently within the novel itself, um, including there is a, uh, a New York Times article within the novel that I based on my husband and my New York Times article that was published in 2013, right after our wedding, um, my husband joked that with, you know, with my book coming out on our anniversary, I was remarrying myself. So that's the first coincidence with June 1st, but it gets better because a few weeks after the book came out, I, um, I, another author reached out to me, um, Luke Burgess, who, and, and through, through an editor at Covator who was uh, writing a review of my book and also reading his book at the same time, she noticed um, uh, a lot of coincidences between the, the two works, even though his, his book is, is nonfiction, it's called Wanting. Um, and you know, mine, mine is a novel, but the parallels she just thought were, were too good. So, um, Luke and Luke and I got connected through her 
and then read each other's books at the same time while communicating and, uh, you know, uh, messaging each other with our, our minds just exploding with the number of coincidences um, between uh, his work and mine. And specifically what wanting is, is a, uh, a, a really elegant um, digestion of the philosophy of Rene Girard in, in a way that makes it much, much more approachable to a, um, you know, an average uh, American reader. Girard originally wrote in French. The translations are pretty convoluted. I read Deceit, Desire in the novel, which is, you know, was Girard's first book after reading Wanting. And, um, you know, look, between, between the, the original and the, um, you know, elegant synthesis, I, uh, I mean, I, I almost fell off the floor several times with uh, how perfectly Gerard's theories um, mirrored the psychological experiences that I was trying to convey in The Portrait of the Mirror. And Luke's book, Wanting, also was published on June 1st, 2021. Lovely. June the June date, and um, to me, it's the, that you're both reading the same different your, each other's books, and you're seeing the parallels as you're yeah. going. So there, there are there are stories of people having uh, dreams together. Um, mm-hmm. This is a, I like the real life ones uh, even better, and that's what you are being you are doing with him. So. I don't hesitate to say that you were mirroring each other. No, we weren't. And, and we were, we, we absolutely were. And we discovered we both live in Washington, DC. So we've, um, we, he ended up and he was doing a, a, an event for his book and I was in conversation. He asked me to be in conversation with him. So we've gotten to do an event together and, um, you know, get to know each other in person. We, uh, we've, we've become friends, which is, which is very lovely. And he's, you know, introduced me to other Gerard scholars, which has gotten my book um, into its absolute most unexpected um, uh, cross-section of fans that I never could have anticipated, which is uh, Catholic professors. <laughs> I have the, you know, and, and I, I got all these Catholic professors following me on Twitter. I was not thinking of Catholicism at all when I wrote this book. I have absolutely no connection to it, but the secular parts of Gerard's theory and, you know, his, his psychological insights are, I mean, I, I, folks, and, and particularly one of the, one of these professors that I've, you know, gotten to know best through Luke, Trevor Cribben Merrill, who's also the author of a brilliant um, debut novel from 2020 called Minor Indignities. I've, you know, learned from, from talking to him, you know, so much more about, uh, you know, Gerard's impact on the world and, and that he has been for many novelists, a, like a, a productivity or a, you know, a creativity killer because, um, he just explained, he almost, ex- he explains the reason for writing for, novels for, for some our, people. For, for our audience, hmm. what you're doing is very meta. 
Um, oh. It's it's about these guys, and it's the kind of thing that you like because you're so meta. Um, and I can do anything meta than you is like one of the lines that people like to say. Uh, and I am a metaphysician, a yes. physician who's very meta. You are <laughs> a metaphysician. Oh, that's so good. That's a, that's. I mean, that's my favorite sort of you know pun and wordplay. That's. Too good. Too good. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. I like it. I'm glad you like it. So we've been doing a lot of meta here about and nobody knows what you're talking about uh, oh, I'm sorry. because you got these names and these people. You're all excited about it. Mm. And this is in your mind that you're playing with it. And I can see the enjoyment you have. And I like being there with you and talking with you in your mind about it. But what is what are some of the things that Gerard um wrote yes that, sorry. that were, were practical because we're you know i told you i play a little football and baseball and i gotta have my feet in the cleats in the ground and you're practical too so what are some of these things that uh that were so overlapping with you yeah so gerard's thesis in deceit desire in the novel is that the great novelists reveal the imitative nature of desire and Wait, wait, wait. Uh, this, what, what is the imitative nature of desire? What does that mean? That the our wants are not um, spontaneous. We learn what to want. Yes. From looking what at what other people want. Yes. And that is the center of my my novel. And that is the center of Gerard's theory. So I apologize. I should have mentioned this uh of course you uh, should sooner. have yes but it's okay um, <laughs> that's that's my job is like i like listen to i mean i would get into your mind too and that's like fun for me but it's not for our audience yeah. uh yeah the the uh, without going to too much detail one of the main characters dale i think buys an apartment in new york city that west but yes west, mm -hmm. i mean west buys an apartment in new york city that is like to be shown to other people it's yeah. it's and so the real estate agent makes him believe that this is what he should want because to show it off because that's what he should want. So right. what we want is what we're told to want. And specifically, we it's it's um, you know it's it's imitative, right? That we we want to be like other people. Oh, not told, but what other people? No, it's not the if you're you know you're not told. You want what other people want. As, and they, as they are demonstrating by their behavior. So it's a by model. their behavior. It's like yes, kid, they're modeling. Kid, it's the kids modeling after their parents. It's not what the, it's not what you say. It's yes. what it's what you do. And I'm really very much interested in seeing more lately how people tell me things, particularly they're going to do something and they don't mm -hmm. do it. I mean, this seems to be mm -hmm. more endemic in the environment than ever than it was before. People used That's to right. be people of their word. Do you agree with that? Yeah. No, I mean, the the. The particularly with with mimetic theory, which is which is that idea. Mimetic means copying. Mimetic means copying and um, and imitating specifically. Imitating. And that that our desires specifically are are not spontaneous. Are, are they're they're oftentimes based on coincidences. Um, a really great example of this is, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with Virginia Postrel's um, excellent work of nonfiction, The Power of Glamour, but one of the, you know, she, the she, power she of tells glamour. the power, the power of, glamour. of glamour. Yeah. She tells this story uh, about a, a prima ballerina who 
saw who grew up in poverty and you know happened to like get her hands on this magazine with an image of a ballet dancer on it and that image wanting to um the glamour of that image and wanting to imitate that image and be the person in that picture um put out the you know uh, uh determined the whole course of of her life and you know all the decisions she made uh came back often to this image that you know she she ran into by chance and that just absolutely stole her heart but that wasn't a spontaneous desire she specifically wanted to become another so mimetic desire is always the desire to be another um and that other was a ballerina and that you know that then that um metaphysical desire informed her real world decisions so doesn't that doesn't that image have to match something in her when she sees it maybe maybe not what if she saw if she saw an image of a gymnast instead of a ballerina don't you think that that she could have um, well, she had some kind of general uh, form in her mind of wanting to excel as something that requires some movement is what I could suggest. Maybe, but maybe, I mean, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think that chance plays uh, oh, a yeah. really big role. I, and and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, into, I'm into saying, yeah, this stuff happens. There's all kinds of things happening. But what you, mm-hmm. let me say, resonate with has something to do with what you bring to the circumstance. It's not just that you're a blank screen, a tabula rasa, and the stuff comes right into your head and you become it. There's got to be some form first, yeah. some form in there that it fits. That's what I think. Yeah. And this is one of the things that kind of that, that Luke Burgess talks about with, um, he has an anti-memetic newsletter and anti-memetic you know, anti-memetic yeah because you know that mimetic like desire can be really dangerous vomiting. that's not anti-emetic okay emetic okay okay but mimetic desire can be really really dangerous and part of what my novel yes. illustrates is is how dangerous um it can be and the you know that anti-memetic tendency to um you know we, we do have some control over how we, you know, who and what we choose to imitate. That is absolutely true. But at the end of the day, we're almost always imitating someone, somebody Uh, or or something, someone else. It requires an ability to be critically thinking. So we see in this culture right now, a lot of of people taking guns because they have somebody else that they're copying and don't have any don't think have a way of critically evaluating what's going on. Right. So That's there's right. a range of, at which we pull in or allow in those images from other places, other people and other and pictures to then influence us. I, when I was, when I was trying to be a football player, there was a guy named Tommy McDonald who played for Oklahoma, who was a wide receiver and the way he ran and what he did is what I wanted to do, which I did. I became kind of like what Tommy McDonald did. I copied my coach in learning how to bunt. So yeah. there's a there's a very important uh, part of wanting to pick it up from somebody right. and having the ability to be able to pick it up and then carry it out. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. The the gun crisis that we're facing is, you know, 
a lot of things, but among them, yeah. it is a mimetic crisis. It's a mimetic crisis. It's a, a lack of critical thinking in the mimetic crisis. So we're, we're, we're talking about uh, Girard and uh, desire. And we got what we were talking about there is a mirroring thing where see that I want to be that mirror, mirror on the wall. I want to be the fairest of them all in this way. Mm-hmm. Well, and usually specifically, so with the mirror, mirror thing, and this is, this gets into, and Gerard talks about this. I, you know, this is one of the things that I was trying to get at in portrait is that one of the, um, one of the people that you can ultimately want to imitate is yourself. And specifically, <laughs> now wait specifically, a minute. Now, wait a minute. I, I want to just say, I want to slow down about that one. One of the people you want to imitate is yourself. That, yeah. That, specific, that, so that, that takes, that's taken me a minute to like get clear. Well, let so me explain it. Let me please explain do. It. I know you will, so, but I just wanted to pause for it. Okay. Go so ahead. This gets to what we were talking about before we went on video with the idea of interpersonal recursion and that, you know, the desire, uh, our modern desire, which I think is exacerbated by social media and just the constant influx of, of selfies and, and images of ourselves and looking at, even just looking at yourself on zoom, but we often are, are not thinking about, you know, what, what we're thinking about, what we're thinking about is how, what we're going to think and say will be perceived from the other person. And this is a recursive then phenomenon where that, 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 that goes, you know, to absurdity where, you know, I'm not thinking about what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about what you're going to think I'm going to think about and say, and then I say something that is influenced by what I think you think I'm going to say. And you, you know, you get into these changes. The, the perfect example of this is that scene in the princess bride uh, where um, the man in black and Wallace Shawn's character are, uh, are, are, you know, having their poison duel and Wallace Shawn's character is going through all of the, um, you know, the mental gymnastics, trying to think of like, but I can't drink it because you would think this. And, you know, and that, that's a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about with uh, interpersonal recursion. Now, but, I, I think you've taken that uh, to an extreme that I don't mm-hmm. agree with. I think it's, a okay. con- I think it's a continuum because uh, I learned to call people uh, politicians versus scientists, just as a way of thinking about how they operate. Okay. And the yeah. politicians are much more tuned to what you're just talking about. Mm-hmm. What's going to be the impact of what I'm talking talking about it's almost like they don't care about what they're saying they're caring about the impact on the person on the other end are people like with asperger's uh who just can only say what they're thinking yeah and they don't have much of an idea about their impact on the other person well i don't disagree with that at all i absolutely think it's a continuum what i would say is that i think that social media has pushed the average on that continuum farther toward politicians obviously I'm the first to agree that there are scientists out there. You, you saw me start to wax on Gerard without any thought to whether my audience would understand what the heck I'm talking about. I probably, to be honest, I fall 
I don't know where I fall because I often think, you know, think about these things, but then I also can just completely have no idea. No, maybe, I, I, maybe I'm trying to, but I just do it wrong. <laughs> you, you, I mean, that, it's fun watching you think, but that's what you were doing and experiencing yeah. you thinking that's what you were doing. But yeah. yes, you got it. You were caught up in your own thing because yeah. you weren't thinking about, Hey, look, what about these other guys? And my job what about is these to other say, guys? My, but, I mean, to bring this back to, you know, how you m- mirror yourself is to, to, to close that loop is, you know, when you're think, when you're taking that, the politicians angle, and I'm going to reuse this because I actually love the continuum of scientists to politician on this, but when you're, when you're trending more politician, particularly in, you know, amorous affairs, yeah, affairs was, of the heart, I, I, yes, right? Yes, yes. Right. Oh, what you my can, darling. I love you so much. There is a difference between you know, loving someone and, you know, desiring deeply for them to desire you. Yes. And the, what the portrait of Amir is largely about is the difference between love and the desire for someone to desire you. And that is also what, you know, where the extremes of Gerard's theory go to, um, in, you know, predicting the behaviors that my novel then illustrates in, you know, nonfiction form, the behaviors like, uh, you know, like, like, uh, being, you know, being a coquette and pretending, you know, feigning lack of interest. Right. And that being an attraction technique, and, you know, and, the, but, but, but when you're the desire of desire for de- the desire for desire causes folks to, you know, imitate themselves, it's, it's, they are their own model and they want to become the, the, you know, the, the model, uh, this, you know, this idea, this ideal person, which is ultimately a play for immortality. They want to be a God. They want everything to be easy and for, you know, for this sort of, adoration. And of course, that is a huge theme of my novel as well, are desires for immortality and specifically immortality through art. They are, I think I was following that, but the, the, the desire to be your, the ideal you have for yourself, I think we were trying to be able to say, you're trying to imitate mm-hmm. this image you have of yourself, yeah. which somehow you also let me say conflates with what you think the other person will find correct to be to be adore you with yes uh uh, that so when you're talking about imitation of yourself it's this ideal of yourself that you're trying to imitate and be able to get to okay i didn't get i I didn't get that part of it the the narcissism which now you are making clearer um how it happened with social media is is getting more and more rampant in the world, I think, and certainly the United mm-hmm. States. The amount of self-involvement people have is amazingly different from when I was growing up. It looked it it it's it seems to be that way. Yeah. It's that not I, new, it's exacerbated. It's right? exacerbated. Like, oh yeah. It's it's taking well, social media didn't invent narcissism, it hacked our brains to um, you know, make it so much more prevalent. I was talking to another, um, 
novelist who's writing a piece on social media in recent and how different, you know, recent novelists have handled social media. And one of the things I said to her is, you know, narcissism is not new. It's been around for millennia, but the difference today is narcissists stumbled upon that Stygian pool in the woods, not, you know, not totally by chance, right. Because he had some help from the gods, but, but he stumbled upon it on the, in the woods. And it was like a narcissist problem. We all walk around with these Stygian pools in our pockets. And let's 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 pause for a minute. Stygian pool is where uh, if you can see it on this in this uh, in the front of this, uh, there's a guy looking at himself in uh, a pool here. And this is the pool that uh, Natasha is talking about. He fell in love with his own image and he didn't know that it was his own image. So he was frozen there uh, and didn't want to move, which was a problem for him and being able to like uh, not be able to to know that uh, he was that he was going to be able to um, uh, take it with him. He knew he couldn't so that in not taking it with him, uh, he couldn't he had to he had to stay there. And so he was frozen in time. And that's what the painting shows. But now, as Natasha is saying, I can look at myself right now talking to Natasha on Zoom and I say, well, look, what, what is that? that, that what's that red what's there? Going on here? <laughs> <laughs> what's that? Getting what's older wrong? every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Got to go with the same thing. Here, what can I do about that? Well, not much. That's what it is. But maybe I can like do something else and make it reach my ideal. So we we can see ourselves much more is what you're being able to see. Mm-hmm. But what you're adding is that we fall in love with ourselves mm-hmm. and want to be an ideal that we can portray on social media and then want to be able to act like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, that's the desire that we have now, the desire to be this ideal, which then we think will attract somebody else to us. None of that's new either though. Like that, no. I mean, Proust, you, it, Gerard picks, um, I think it's like five well, novels. Let's not, let's not do the history of that. Okay. Let's, let's just say it's here because you're- It's here more. Yes, we can just say more. it's that's here all, more. That's all. Let's do it. It's here more uh, okay. because let's, let, let's do coincidences because you, okay. you, you and I can get into this too much. It's like too much fun, but it's not what we need to be talking about because you have such good ideas about recursiveness and fractals. But let's start with- uh, a pun that you threw at me, which I didn't, which I hadn't thought about. One of my problems with uh, talking about coincidences with people is that the word coincidence doesn't really tell you what it is particularly. It says there's, is it any, is it meaningful or is it not? And there's some people say it's random. Okay. So it's a mere coincidences for some people that say it's means something. So it's a meaningful coincidences, but Natasha has pointed out punster that she can be under the right circumstances that mirror and mirror and the way you pronounce mirror is like mirror i mean if you listen to yourself you say mirror there's an o in there before the last mirror yes that's the one (laughs) that's the one you don't do that you go mirror uh so you've put them together already so mirror coincidence is a meaningful coincidence usually, or can be. And mere coincidence is definitely, it's just random chance and it doesn't happen. So that we've been talking about the play with puns. How, how would you, tell us about puns and coincidence, Natasha. 
So um, I think I, it's not so much puns that fascinate me as double entendres. What's a double entendre, Natasha? Yeah, a, a meaningful pun that is a little bit naughty. <laughs> <laughs> and and so a little bit so naughty no no you can't do that for it's for you me you can do that but not our audience that's a little bit naughty or naughty okay so what do you mean by a a pun that's a little bit naughty naughty well that i mean that it, it has some it's it's a mirror coincidence as opposed to a mirror mirror m-e-r-e coincidence i guess that it what? has that that it that it has something to connect it beyond pure linguistics. Yes. Besides the, the sounds, the sound the, the same. The sound, yeah. The, 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 the inherent sound um, similarity, the inherent echo doesn't interest me as much as that when the echoes themselves are um, connected, but it goes, it, it kind of goes to, the one of the most interesting observations that I think you make in your book, which is that as soon as you understand the reason behind a coincidence, it is by definition no longer one. So I think you, I mean, I don't know whether these are actually, co- they're, they're coincidences only insofar as there is a, a, grain of of mystery left so you need some meaning explained but you also need some that remains unexplained and i think the you know why i'm less interested by pure linguistic puns is that there's too much that's unexplained around the coincidence and why i love kind of double entendre puns is there's there's just the right um there's just the right mix between an explanation and meaning and yet remaining mystery and, and dissonance. Very good. Uh, and the, like with mirror and mirror, um, they have the same sound. And so you wonder about how it happened that these two different words and with different meanings ended up having the same sound. And we don't have good explanations for that. It just kind of seems to appear. But what they do is demonstrate a polarity in in themselves that it's diminished or it's like, wait a minute, potentially meaningful. But then we don't know Mm -hmm. just what those two words mean when they apply or how they apply to something. So there's something satisfyingly ambiguous about that connection is the way I'm understanding you telling me this. Yeah, yeah. And it has just the right amount of amount of ambiguity. Just the right amount, of, but there's something to it. I can use it just it. like just something you can grab onto, but also something that you can, you know, you can. There, there's some negative space left to it. Negative space is a big. What's that know, mean? What's big that big idea here? of mine? What's that, what's that mean here in the in the novel? That there's that there's there's something that's left unexplained. There's there's oh. there's yeah that Mis- kind of mystery. corner of. Yeah, mystery. Mystery. Yeah. mystery. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like mystery for all of this. Uh, that we're trying to peer outside of our current reality and see what's out there. Right? That's right. Like stick your nose above the clouds and see what might be there. Mm-hmm. Well, we one of the original titles of your book was uh, Recursion. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, the fates 
slammed you with a book called Recursion, a novel, and you spent some time languishing and anguishing about your title being, let me say, stolen by somebody else. Uh, there, there is this thing with, with words that, um, or ideas that sometimes you come up with a great idea, but someone else either had it already or has it now or will have it. And I had that with the word simulpathity, where I made up a word simulpathity, mm -hmm. meaning uh, feeling the pain of a loved one at a distance. Uh, and I thought, well, it's in 2014. So I looked it up, uh, went back and looked it up in 2016. Some guy made a movie entitled Simulpathity, a little one, two minute thing. And yeah. I said, I wrote to him on Facebook, I said, hey, you ever hear of me and my word? And he said, no, I just, and he used the term in the little movie the same way I meant it. So I get into this psychosphere idea uh, that we share, we're sharing ideas with each other, but we don't know it. And there's a lot of evidence that suggests that's what we've got. So we live in this mental atmosphere. So as your husband told you, you're lucky, and I agree with him, that you didn't title your book Recursion. So what- I agree with him too. <laughs> what, so what is recursion? We don't know. You're going to tell us. But Portrait of a Mirror is like, there. that is such a nice title because there's several- good novels in the past that are part of the mirroring of your book. Mm -hmm. And if those of yeah. you who ever have had the experience of being uh, between two mirrors, uh, that's what we're talking about here and about to talk about more is that you look in one mirror and then you, the other mirror reflects back what's seen in this mirror in front of you. And you get this infinite regression back of mirror, mirrors, 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 mirrors back. And that's recursion in a very simplest form. And that's what Natasha was writing about in her novel, Portrait of a Mirror. So tell us about recursion and fractals, which are an important part of coincidence understanding. Yeah. So, um, Specifically, what my husband said when this other novel called Recursion came out was, this is the best thing that's ever happened to you. Your novel isn't about aliens, which is, you know, th there's this science-y uh, Oh, the previous novel feeling. was about recursion? The previous the recursion novel was no, about No, no, I don't, I don't, his novel isn't about aliens either, but just, it has this, you know, science-y, you know, feeling and connotation and is, you know, maybe a little bit of a, um, a word that's hard to approach that a lot of people don't know, it probably would have gotten changed by a publisher for my, for my book anyway, given, given what it's about. But the portrait of Amir in plain English gets to the, the central image of the novel better, which you already described of standing between two mirrors and seeing, you know, seeing that, that infinite uh, interplay be, uh, between the progressively smaller images. So uh, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, specifically what I was, there's lots of different instances of recursion in my novel, but the one that I was most interested in was the psychological one of the politician thinking about what the other yes. person yes. was thinking about, which brings us full circle to, you know, the, the, the point that hopefully now there's enough context to um, to make effectively, which is that I, I don't have an anxiety of influence around Gerard because I feel like I came up with the same ideas myself 
in a coincidence manner that I, I happened upon the same idea as much like you and the, the guy who made the movie Simulpathity. I feel like, you know, Gerard and I are these kindred spirits who over time came up with the same idea as opposed to, you know, having, um, having, having that, you know, paralyzing influence of, of no longer, you know, needing to create literature because its central mystery is solved. How is recursion in fractals related? Well, with the, the interpersonal recursion idea that you, as you, as you think farther and farther down this psychological ch chain of in your desire for others to desire you and creating that chain of desire, you are psychoanalyzing people on increasingly um, ah. uh, back and forth levels so that your thoughts are eventually lose meaning because one of the, you know, one of the key principles of recursion is we can only, you know, we can only cognitively understand so many instances of it. I think before it's three. It just starts, I, think it's, I think it's three. I think it's three. Yeah. I think, I think, I, I think it's maybe I write in the book six to seven for like, you know, that would be somebody who probably has Asperger's around recursion. Right. And, but I mean, I think I start around, I've thought a lot about this and I think around four or five, I, it really starts to break down for me. Let me, let me try this one on you. Um, mm -hmm. One of my favorites. Um, I observe myself. Right. And I call it a self-observer. Okay. So when I start talking about my self-observer, I have to have a second self-observer to be observing the behavior of this the first. is right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then in order to be talking about the second self-observer, I need to have a third one that's watching the second one that's watching the first one. Yes. And all of the reasons that you need those observers are because you interact with an outside world, which is why this is, if not identical, then extremely closely related to the idea I'm getting at with interpersonal recursion. I'm thinking about what you're thinking about, what I'm thinking about, what you're thinking about, what I'm thinking about, what you're thinking about. And it's just like this, this nested embedded self-similar repetition that is, by the way, inherent to our English language and almost all languages. There's a couple like very bespoke, not bespoke is the wrong word, but very, um, uh, you know, exceptions that are only spoken by a, you we, know, a couple we gotta hundred have, people. We got to have exceptions. That's, that's no fun if we don't have them. No but, fun if we don't have exceptions. But for almost all languages in this world, recursion is a central linguistic concept that a sentence can technically go on forever because you can always embed another clause. And when I define recursion, I, I in some ways, in, in looking Maybe, maybe I should use the word mimesis instead of recursion in, in some specific places. But when I define recursion, I'm talking about the really broad concept of embedded self-similar repetition of any now, kind. The, the term self-similar is essential that we go over again because it's fundamental to fractals and fundamental yes. to what you're yes. talking about. Yes. Self-similar is kind of an awkward word for me. I mean, it's gotten to be out there, but it means... <laughs> 
the next one is similar to the last the last one <laughs> yeah but it, it's i'm similar to myself i mean it doesn't yeah. it the phrase doesn't compute re readily but it's it's what's being used so fractal is a repetition of a repetition of a repetition where they're similar usually but not the same off clear fractal is one where it's a different scale but the same scale. pattern i was gonna say the different the the fractal is you know a a a species within the genus of recursion, right? It's one specific type and specifically what it is, is the embedded self similar repetition of scale. And, you know, being scale able, meaning smaller and larger or larger, smaller and, smaller. and larger, but, and, and, and the, the, the smaller parts are, um, you know, miniature reflections of the bigger part of the bigger part. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and what's happened uh, in the fractal business is that they come up with like fractals that aren't exactly self-similar that, that because of various mathematical permutations that can put into it or whatever you might add the next level at the different scale or even the same scale is somewhat different from what you might call the original so it's approximate self-similarity and one of the fun things about coincidences is how similar is similar uh, that's right and that's actually one of the most interesting concepts with you know, the true fractals actually hold less interest to me than the ones with slight variations. Yes. There's a line in my novel, nothing highlights difference quite like homogeneity. When you have these self-similar repetitions is when you, is, is, is you get into finer and finer and finer and finer grains of differentiation. And this is also why I, in why I was so taken with and wanted the novel to take place in the 1%, not only to lampoon it, but the farther you get up on the, you know, socioeconomic class spectrum, the more differentiation is done based on increasingly nothing, right? Increasingly just these, these tiny microscopic gradations in like taste. which, what flowers are you going to have at the wedding? What flowers example? are you going to have at the wedding? And, you know, and, oh, that's and, good. and, and, <laughs> and the, the more similar they all are, the more these tiny differences Make matter difference. to us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not just, you know, mathematically in a fractal, but in, you know, psychologically and socioeconomically and, you know, socio, uh, psychologically. <laughs> now let, let, let's, let's take that flower thing and bring it back to where our sure. listeners and our viewers here a little bit for the reality that we tend to most of us listen, live in, uh, that there is in your novel and in real life too, a, a search for a mirror of myself. I'm looking for someone who's going to be like me somehow. And that happens in the early stages of romance, where there is a clear mirroring, even, mm -hmm. even psychotherapists ran into that one, they could tell that we are, we are meant to be together, because we are so similar, we share this taste in turkey and stuff. Well, and similar, but opposite. And this is part of the reason I love mirrors, it. too, is that it's the same, but it's also the opposite. And you see that with, um, you know, romantic partners as well. Sometimes opposites attract. Sometimes, you know, it's more the, the similarity side of the equation, but mirrors to me are relevant on both counts. Good, 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 good. How are they, how is the opposite relevant as a mirror? Well, because it's, I mean, it's the, it's the inverted it's image. The inverted it version. Like I actually read a, 
there was a really interesting article recently about, and again, to the selfie thing, I can't remember who, where it was. Maybe it was the cut. I can't remember. That's all right. It's all right. <laughs> where, where You're such the a person, scholar. You're such a scholar. <laughs> <laughs> the person who's writing it asks, why do we hate like pictures of, of ourselves, like selfies or, or, or pictures where, you know, and it's because you're looking at the mirror. You're, you're used to looking at yourself in the mirror ah. and you're, you, the, this, the you that you're actually used to consuming as an, as an other to imitate is your mirror image, not your actual Oh, that's self. so right. So that's then when right. you see photographs of yourself, you're not seeing the mirror image that you're used to seeing. You're seeing your part on the other side. You're seeing this, this slightly different person. And that difference alone repels us. What do you do? Natasha, with the idea that in some new age thinking, which is kind of getting more in the culture, uh, a person goes to the mirror in the morning. I know a guy who does this and he looks in the mirror. I'm going to try to do this. And he looks in the mirror and he says, I love you. I love you. I love you. My son does this. My, my, my son, I remember when he was like 18 months old, discovering the mirror and like putting his mouth all over it. We're imitative creatures and we're, we're programmed for, I mean, there's a reason the narcissist myth is so old, even though social media is, is so new. Part of it is, you know, an ingrained mimetic attachment. And there's very few things that are more mimetic than our own image. We are, we are like moths to a flame with it biologically, I, I think. What do you think? What do you think of this? This guy is not three months, six months old, or he, he's he's in his seventies, and 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 he does that every day. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, to you. This sounds like to me. It mm-hmm. sounds like to you. It's like just what we do, but now he's making it more conscious. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that there's definitely you. You know more about this than me as a psychiatrist. For uh, sure. that, uh, people have accused me of that a lot of times, and that's not true. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, I know I, some. Go ahead. There's a continuum of narcissism, right? And you need some portion of, and maybe we don't, and maybe narcissism is the wrong word on the other end of continuum. Maybe maybe it's narcissism to self love, and there's a certain amount of that that is healthy for confidence for, you know, for getting through your day for, um, honestly, you you need a certain amount of that to look away effectively, because if you're, you know, if you're self, the, you know, the more self-absorbed you are in, in kind of a, I hate myself way, that's just as likely to draw you to the mirror as I love you. So, um, you know, on that continuum of narcissism to self-love, he's probably a little, a little too far on the narcissism spectrum, but I don't think he's, I mean, I, I'm not sure that it's clinical. You tell me. <laughs> well, I, I look at it as uh, the opposite of what you said, that he doesn't have enough sense of himself. That mm. so he needs to be able to reinforce mm. that for himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Or it may be just as you're saying, it reinforces what's already there is that you have to be, a, people are a bit, have to be able to love yourself somehow to be able to love somebody else. You have to yes. have some sense that you are lovable and the person that you're living with is yourself. So you have to think you're okay with 
your love with lovableness. What, with, what with I, most things, I think these continuums are, are a circle too. And yeah, you yeah, probably, yeah. you probably need, you know, you need to not love yourself so much that you're able to walk away from the mirror, but you also need to love yourself enough that you're able to walk away from the mirror because if you hold up the, the picture again, I mean, this is the paperback, but the mirror is a trap. The mirror is, is, is a trap. And the more time, um, you know, we're, we're there, the more we're likely, it, whether we see things we love too much or don't love enough, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be in trouble either way. And that, and that was narcissist trouble was that he was like caught in the trap. Uh, mm-hmm. and in that trap, he couldn't get away. He could not get away from the, uh, um, the pool. So that's, yeah. that's, that's where he had to stay in order to be able to do it. But we can carry our selfies around and look at it. And I, I have trouble watching myself on these YouTube things because it's mm-hmm. seeing myself at it and I get a little, get a little tired of it, but it's like, there's a certain amount of it that we have to be able to that's do. Right. That's right. In order to be able to keep going with this thing. What, what we about still do too much? There's, I mean, there are architectural things in our, you know, current mores around communication that overemphasize video that I think are, you know, are ex- in particular social media that are exacerbating some of these problems. The Zoom thing. I mean, I, I read somewhere recently too, that like the, the Botox explosion since people, since the pandemic, since people have been on zoom all the time and staring at themselves all the time. It's like the, we're seeing actual behavioral changes because we are looking at ourselves all the time. Well, we're getting, we're coming to the end of our time together, Natasha. Um, and I, a couple of two other things for us to discuss, okay. uh, as a, as a therapist who deals with, um, interpersonal problems, um, one of the fun things for me is, um, is recognizing that uh, being a therapist is the only way to be in therapy without having to be the patient. That, that's a nice recursion for you right there. I should have been a therapist and I wouldn't have to be in so much that's, therapy. That's right. Well, it still helps, but, and yeah. the way it, it works, I mean, I, I learned this years ago, but the way that works is that the therapist should listen to what the therapist is saying to the other person, because there is a percentage of time that what the therapist is saying to the patient, the therapist needs to hear himself or herself. Mm -hmm. Which, which gets to like, there's recursive therapy too, right? I mean, Brene Brown has talked about this, how she, how important her therapist is to her as, you know, a, a person who studies these things and that you need like a special, like you would need a special therapist who treats therapists. And then what do the therapists who treat therapists do? Do they need a therapist who treats therapists who treat therapists? Like where, you know, the, that's, the, the, that's, that's, that's a really important idea that I, I think you're right about because uh, my therapist has, does not have a lot of experience with therapists and I've been having to like uh, help shape her to be a therapist for me. And mm-hmm. it's, it's taken a couple of years to be able to get to the place where I can kind of ask her to do stuff. For example, um, one of the failings of current therapy, most of them, is that they focus on the past or the present. 
but they don't talk about the images of the future that the person might be re reaching for. There's a teleology in us that wants to go for something in the future. And you're kind of alluding to that, that we want to have an image of ourselves that we'd like to match. But yes. there's also more to that. What kind of movie do I want to be um, in sometime in the future? Yeah, absolutely. And, and therapists don't really get to that kind of visual movie thing. For people with panic disorder, I may, maybe tell them they walk into the horror movie theater of their own mind when they have a panic attack. I actually think the bigger problem is that oftentimes we're not even going for movies. We're going for photographs. And when, you know, a movie is, an, is idealized, but it's le at least it's moving, right? Like you're going through time. There are, there are, you know, changes. What, when you're, I think part of our problem is that we're not visualizing movies as our ideal. We're often, we have these still images, oh. which are, you know, by their nature only, um, you know, they're, they have the feeling of permanence, even though they're ah, just... illusory. And it goes to, it goes back to the narcissist image too. I mean, if you yeah. listen to what Ovid says about him, he's, you know, charmed, spellbound by himself, no more moving than any marble statue. So part of what he's doing is he's freezing the movie. Yeah. And this goes to the immortality thing in time. What ah. we're trying to do at the end of the day is stop time. And part of the reason it's not just narcissism, that attracts us to selfies, what it is, is it's a play for immortality. Well, that's, uh, so, is, uh, uh, so is the continuing belief that um, the, something of us survives after we die, right. which is kind of popular. And there's some evidence to suggest that it's true, but we won't get into that. I, it's pathological to want the photograph is what you're saying in this yes. current reality. Yes. Now, I, I couldn't help do the movie thing because my first came with movies when imagining running for touchdowns um, mm, uh, or hitting a mm, first pitch for a home run. Yeah. So those are yeah. movies. And I would watch movies where that would happen. But I think those movies are healthier than the still that's what image. You're, that's what you're saying. And that's what I agree with you. And I'm glad you pointed out. But going back to the therapist thing, this mirroring thing that is so much of what we're talking about, mm -hmm. not only does the therapist need to listen to what he or she is saying to the patient. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like your therapist, 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 but also you have to listen to what the patient is saying, because mm -hmm. as you did with the, the novelist, the desire novelist and have run parallel with what he was doing. So there are parallels between the patient and the therapist. You can say there's no, it's not a coincidence that people have gotten together. In fact, there are some really amazing reasons uh, that people start with each other. A good dissertation done in San Francisco uh, was uh, the, called Faded Meetings, where the patient came in with the same problems as the therapist had. Oh, wow. So therapist really understood that. Yeah. Um, and there's another one of a, patient writing a novel, uh, which turned out to be about the therapist's life without having learned about it. So there's, there are these parallels that you are experiencing within a novel that go between patient and therapist. So listening to what the patient is going through and thinking of it as something that might be a lesson to you is another one of those mirror coincidences that we are talking about today.
Well, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think part of the reason we're all um, more in need of therapy than ever is what, what we think we want is often very different from what we actually want. And uh, it's a big, big theme in my, in my book overall, but, but, but what we, what we actually want most of the time is, is meaningful connection and And the therapist and the patient. Yes. And a meaningful connection. And one of the purposes of the coincidence project, which has just gotten to be nonprofit status here in Virginia is, thank you. uh, Is like, to learn to help people connect with each other because coincidences can connect people with each other and the purpose of that is to be able to love and to be loved in return yep to love and to be loved in return and those are hard concepts for us human beings who are caught up in ourselves and it's Mm -hmm. not to be in love Uh, it's to it's to know how to love someone else well when we say when we say in love that to me is usually the desire for desire it's versus that's good that is when when we you know we made that the that yeah uh, contrast between the desire for desire and love we often use we often often use the word in love for what is that's that mania that drives you crazy yeah Yeah. that is the desire for that is such a nice translation of being in love, the desire for desire from the other person. I'm so in. So it's inherently recursive. <laughs> oh gosh, we're not going to do that one right now because uh, I know you're right, but we're not going to do it. So we're gonna we're getting to the to the end uh, of our time together, and so uh, I'd like to ask you to tell us something that's more personal about uh, Natasha. Um, that uh, you know, it's something that's you. Uh, yeah, I know you're from U- University of Virginia and right down the street from where I am right now uh, that you have a great friend named Gia because I've seen you relate to each other. So I know those those two personal things about and you were met. I like that the two of you met walking into your first class in UVA or something like that and that you tried to be together as much as you can. Or maybe I'm not getting it exactly we, right. We, we met in our actually funny enough in, in um, our sorority. Oh, in the sorority. <laughs> Yes. Very, very intellectual. (laughs) And very early. (laughs) Yeah, very not. Quite early. I was a year ahead of her in school, but yes. Oh, um, I didn't know that either. mm -hmm. But you became very, very good friends uh, Mm -hmm. and still are. And she wrote a book that has mirror in the title. And neither of you knew the other one was going to have a book with mirror in the title, I guess. No, I didn't know. Her book came out a couple of years, years before mine, but it was, um, I, I can't remember if, if her book had already come out when I, it, it did happen around the same time because it took me lo- pretty long to um, finish my novel. Okay, we get she's it. She's much. She's a much more efficient, you know, fast, fa- faster brain, faster writer. Well, I, I, I mean, some people do whalers, and they're not that fast. Those boats, <laughs> but they get to the they get to where they're going, and you did, and it's a wonderful novel. And thank um, you. You're welcome. And as you know, and I'll tell you again, how much fun it was to read it and read it again, and then. The, be able to challenge you on your willingness to talk with people who write to you and you did and we have and it's uh, culminated in you're doing a, a lovely blurb for my book and then in this conversation which I enjoy is, it 
And, and I, I really, yes, I enjoyed it too. So you have a three-year-old. You've told us about that. You live yeah. in Washington, D.C. And you're making a, um, you're trying to make a, a four-part series out of the book here, uh, out of the out of Portrait of a Mirror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what else, what else do you aspire to these days? Well, I do have... Um... A second, I have ideas for second, third, and fourth novels. The one that's farthest along is about um, probability in basketball. And I am uh, very excited to hopefully, you know, as soon as um, the, the pilot of the teleplay is off my desk to dig in there. And, you know, what do you think of going to take think years, about, so. What do you might think about being in the zone in basketball? In the zone in basketball, I mean, I, I think it's probably like being in a state of flow with anything else where every it's one of the most pleasurable. Um, and I, I love this question, by the way, because it, it wraps it's going to put a wrapper on everything for us. It is one of the most pleasurable um, experiences that I think one can have the state of flow. And that is because what it entails is a temporary loss of sense of self. What you, what, what happens in order to get into a state of flow is that you detach from that desirous ego because you are so enmeshed in whatever you are doing. And so it can inherently only happen temporarily. I am I feel very fortunate to be someone who flow comes relatively easy <laughs> to, I find myself in this state a lot. Um, not as much now that I have a three-year-old because it's harder. <laughs> you know, the, the long blocks of time are really, really helpful to it. But yeah, no, I, um, I'm, I'm not a basketball player. I'm my interest in basketball is largely mathematic, but uh, I would imagine that it's, you know, like anything else and that you probably felt it on the football field when you are, when your entire world is part of that game. It's actually part of the reason that I could never get into sports because I was always thinking about like, what are people going to think of like, how do I look in this like uniform? <laughs> like, is it, you know, is it fashion forward? I don't like how these, you know, this, you know, kilt feels like, I don't know. I could never, I could never enter a state of flow in sports, which is probably why I was bad at them. I imagine that everyone who's really good at it enters that. Uh, what helped me get into flow in football was getting hit. Because <laughs> <laughs> that said, you're here. You're here. You're there. It's, you're, you're it's, here. A, it's a meditative thing, right? There's a, I, I think it's the best meditation there is. And for me, it happens very easily with writing. And it's part of the reason I I love to, write. to do it. Well, I, I like to do it too. And I'm having to do the business of this thing and do PR for my book is like not that much fun. I want to, no, I have uh, two more not. books in mind too. Uh, and one is about um, my personal experiences with coincidence starting in sixth grade or mm. nine years old. And then, uh, then the ones that are going on right now. And when, because it's so fascinating to see the flow of the flow. In basketball, I had one experience where the basket was really large and I couldn't miss. And I'm glad you put flow together with it because I hope you get into the, the, the 
tension you must between uh, the probability guys that say, you know, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't or the random guys and the, and the guys who are actually playing say, Hey, that guy's got the hot hand. Uh, yeah. and you can have That's a right. hot hand and have a hot hand. You can have, you can really go for it. It's just what happens. That's right. That's well, right. Natasha, it's time to bid au revoir. And, uh, it's been a real delight talking with you. Thank you. For- Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. This is our mental atmosphere like a hologram of cosmic consciousness.